October 27, 1776, Benjamin Franklin, y'all know old Ben, was elected the minister plenipotentiary. That's a big word. I just want y'all to know for me. That's a really big word. That's about as big as it gets. Minister plenipotentiary to the court of France. Now, what in the world does that mean? Essentially, Franklin was elected as the very first U.S. ambassador to a foreign country. Do you know that? It's pretty cool. He was, so now the United States has ambassadors all over the world that serve as diplomats and uh, as, as government officials to deal with and work with local government. We have embassies in almost every country in the world, and the ambassadors work out of that so that they can handle anything going on with the local government. They are the first line of communication with local government. Now, here's what's interesting. In uh, researching for this today, I found out, this is pretty crazy, that since 2011, the office of the ambassador to the Bahamas, since 2011, has been vacant. So I wanted y'all to know I've applied for a new job. <laughs> Some patriots got a sacrifice for the old red, white, and blue, right? How can you not find a person that wants to live in the Bahamas? For the, like we got all these people living across the world. We can't get an American to live in the Bahamas. But, so uh, listen, I, I want to tell you, today is the last I mentioned of this series, Handling Conflict, that, uh, that we've been talking about. And the reason that I'm talking about ambassadors is because that's the precise word that the Apostle Paul uses to describe followers of Jesus. If you're a Christian, Paul calls you or me an ambassador. So today, I want to talk to the ambassadors in the room. I want to talk to the ambassadors who are watching along. If you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, this is for you. And Paul makes it clear that we ambassadors have been given a special gift or a tool to deal with the constant conflict that is so prevalent in the world. And you don't have to look far, do you? Whether it's screaming on TV, whether it's typing in all caps on Facebook, you know it gets serious when it gets in all caps. Whether it's around the table at Thanksgiving or maybe just at dinner one night. Conflict is everywhere. Uh, it's, it's in our homes, it's in our offices, it's in our media, it's in our pockets. I, I heard this week a, a great phrase that it sort of seems like that our devices are dividing us. You can't escape conflict no matter where you go. It's a part of our lives. There's conflict in the boardroom and conflict in the bedroom. And this is the fair question to ask when it comes to conflict, and this is why this one is the last of this series. Are Christians, are followers of Jesus, making conflict better or worse? Are we 
exacerbating it or alleviating it? Are we raising the temperature of conflict or are we cooling things down? What would you say? Are are Christians making conflict on social media better or worse? Now, I mentioned that today is for those of you who consider yourselves followers of Jesus, but if you don't, And some of you are watching, I hope you are, and if you came today, and maybe you came because a friend invited you, and you're not sure where you're at with Jesus and church yet, I just want you to know, we're so honored that you're here. I can't can't tell you how honored we are that you'd spend an hour uh, with Mountaintop. And I have a hunch, I have a hunch that this is one of the reasons you don't consider yourself a Christian yet. Because you see Christians often making things worse in the world. You see Christians making the conflict become more conflicted, making the division become more divided. And what I want to tell you today is that I'm so sorry that that is sometimes true, but I really believe the people in this room and the people that are called this place home want to make it better. We want to be obedient to what we're going to talk about today. And what we're going to talk about today is, is how how God designed Christians to actually be a better part, be a part of making this better in the world. And the reason Paul says that we should be good at this isn't because we're nicer or because it's the right thing to do. The reason is much deeper and much better. And our right out of the gate, Paul tells us that our motivation It isn't to just solve the conflict problem in the world. No, our calling is much higher. So we're going to be in the book of 1 Corinthians. This is a letter written to Christians, to to a church in a community called Corinth. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. If you have your Bibles or maybe you're sitting at home or on your back porch uh, watching, open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 5. We're going to start in verse 14, and, and if you don't have a hard copy Bible and you're here in person, there are bookshelves when you leave, and we would love for that to be our gift to you today. Listen to how Paul starts this out. 1 Corinthians 5, 14, he says this, for Christ's love compels us. It is Christ's love that compels us. That is our motivation that is, that is why we are moved. It is Christ's love that compels the believer. Not being right, not being heard, not our feelings, not winning. We are moved, motivated, and compelled by the love of God in Jesus Christ. It is the gasoline to our engine to every single thing we do. We're compelled. Not by being right. Not by winning. What are we compelled by? Let's see if you can try this. What are we compelled by? Christ's love. Let's try it again. We're compelled by what? Christ's love. And then he goes on to say why this love is so profound. What's so special about Christ's love? Paul says, well, here's why. Because we are convinced. I love that language. Because we are convinced that one died for all. So Christ's love compels us with a spirit, with an attitude that he died for all, and therefore all died. 
and he died for all, that those who live, that's us, should no longer live for themselves. We don't live for ourselves anymore. But for him, we live for Jesus, who died for them and was raised again. We believe something about God's love that shapes how we not only view ourselves, but every other person we come into contact with or have conflict with. We don't live for us, do we? Christians, it's for us, remember, right? We don't live for us, who do we live for? We live for Christ, we live for him. We don't live for us, we live for him. We are representatives now of something much bigger than us. My agenda, my wants, my desires, my feelings are now secondary. I live for him, why? Because he died for all and rose again. Because I can't deny that he was once dead and is now alive. And because of that, I owe him everything. So now, I I do everything differently from him. I handle situations the way he would because I live for him. I treat people the way he would because I live for him. And Paul says that to do that, to live for others, then I'll have to see others the way he would. So Paul says it this way. So, I love that, so. So, since Christ died for, who did he die for? All. Christ died for, let's say it all together, all. So, since Christ died for all, since Christ gave his life for all, we believe he died for all. We are, do you remember what he said before? We are convinced of it. We're convinced that he didn't just die for me. He didn't just die for the Christians. He didn't just die for the church. He didn't just die for my denomination. He died for all. So, since that's clear, Paul says, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Well, how else do you view them? from an otherworldly view, right? We view, view people through the eyes of not this, this, this world. We view people through the eyes of heaven. We view people through the eyes of Jesus. And how did Jesus view them? That they were worth dying for because Christ died for all. We no longer see our differences and our divisions. We no longer see our conflict and our consternation. We see them through the eyes of Jesus and Christ died for all. And here we have the first inkling of how Christ followers are to represent Jesus and to handle conflict differently. It starts with how we see people. Have you considered this? Jesus died for every person with whom you have a conflict. Jesus died for every person. Every, why? Because Jesus died for who? 
for all. For every person with whom you have a conflict. He died for the server who got your order wrong, for the contractor who did the work wrong on your house, for the business associate who fell through on the deal, for the teacher who treated your kid poorly, or teachers, for the parent that keeps emailing you. Come on. Come on, teachers. And emailing you. And emailing you. Jesus died for the people you disagree with, for the people who you have cut off emotionally or who have cut you off emotionally. He died for the people who post stupid stuff on social media. He died for your ex, for your in-laws, for your neighbor who won't cut down that tree and with the people that you dif- disagree with about politics. For that coworker that betrayed you and the friend that lied for you, Jesus died for your enemies. Jesus died with every person you had, have, or will have a conflict. So... Um, I'm coaching sixth grade rec basketball. And uh, yesterday I had a disagreement with an official. (laughs) He was wrong, but everybody's been wrong before. Um, And uh, it was so funny. I I was just, you know, I, I was trying to take up for one of my kids on my team. And I'm sitting there talking to him, and it was very civil and, you know, I mean, I'm not gonna scream and raise my blood pressure over sixth grade basketball. But I'm sitting there talking to him. He's not really hearing me. And I'm just saying, this is the curse of being a preacher, right? This is the curse. I was sitting there thinking, Jesus died for this guy. (laughs) He got this call wrong, but Jesus died for him. Because Christ died for all. With every person that you have a big, long-lasting family or business conflict, and every person you have a day-to-day, silly conflict, every person, Jesus died for them. So then Paul says, though we once regarded Christ this way, we do so no longer. Now, what does this mean? Paul's saying that there was a time that we regarded Christ from a worldly point of view. There was a time that we thought he was just a prophet. There was a time the world thought that he was just a great rabbi, a great teacher. But we do so no longer. Why? Because he died. And what did he do that kind of proved all that wrong? He rose again. We don't view him that way. He ushered in, Paul says, something new to the world. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. You are no longer, if you call yourself a Christian, if you are in Christ, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are no longer a part of the old ways of the world. And the old ways you saw people and the old way you dealt with relationships and the old ways that you dealt with conflict, you are now part of a new kingdom, a new way. You are part of the new that Jesus ushered into the world. Some of you have some conflicts that have lasted a long time. Let's just be real. And you haven't talked to that family member since you sat down with some attorney who read Daddy's will. Or you haven't talked to a loved one since 
the funeral. And that was a long time ago. But if we are in Christ, we are supposed to be able to look at old wounds with new eyes. Because the old is gone. And the new has come. And in Christ, we have been given a gift. Here's the gift. All this is from God. Who reconciled us to himself. In other words, there was a time we were in conflict with God. Our sin, our lifestyles, our past was in conflict with God. We were enemies of God. There was a barrier between us and God, and yet God reconciled us. We did nothing for it. He reconciled us to himself through Christ. And the moment you said yes to Jesus, the moment that you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, the moment you became a follower, the moment you became a Christian, the moment you got saved, you didn't know it, but you graduated from seminary that day. You graduated from seminary, and no matter what your paying job is, no matter what you do from Monday through Friday, you now have a ministry in the world. That's what Paul says. He's not saying, like, this is just for me because I'm a pastor, or, you know, this is just for me and Timothy. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul says every single one of us who call on the name of Jesus, Christ gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We have a ministry to share the world. What is that ministry? What, what, what is our ministry? This is it. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. This is our ministry, that God has done for the whole world what he did for us because Christ died for all, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. In other words, it is our job it is our job to share with the world this message of reconciliation, and we have a ministry of reconciliation with the world. God has given this to us. We are to take this message to the world. And here's what's interesting. In a, the world who often feels like their sins are too much, like they are too far gone from God, that God counts their sins against them, and we've got this world that is in conflict with God, and our message is to tell them that God has reconciled with them. And you know what we decided to do with the world? Start an argument with it. We've been given a, a message and a ministry to share one message with the world, that God has reconciled himself with the world. So the church decided to start an argument with the world. The church decided to be in constant conflict with the world. The church decided to type in all caps. And, and, and here, here's just the question I just want to ask every single one of us. How can we convince the world God doesn't hold their sins against them if we do? We have a message. 
that the God of the universe hasn't held the sins of the world against it. He put it on Jesus. And we're often really good at holding the world's sins against it. How can we convince? How can we do this ministry? How can we share this message that Christ, that God hasn't, hasn't, he hasn't held their sins against them? If we do, no one should be better at this than us. And then Paul makes a passionate plea to those who have been baptized and sent into ministry. We had two more today. They graduated, got sent into ministry today. A passionate plea. He says, we are therefore ambassadors. There's that word. We are ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. You are a kingdom government official in a foreign land. You are a high-ranking official of the kingdom of God on foreign soil. And God, I am making, God is saying, I am making my appeal to the world through you, church, through you, believer, through you, Christian. You're an ambassador on foreign soil. I love the, the word Paul uses here is one that Plato used, that Herodotus used. It was a very common word in Greek culture. The word for ambassador is presbios. That's what it looks like in Greece, but uh, in Greek, older, elder, senior, officer. So if you ever wondered, our Presbyterian brothers and sisters, this is where they get the word Presbyterian from. If you ever wondered, like, that's kind of a funny word. Where'd that come from? So their denominational officials in the Presbyterian church is called the Presbytery. And what Paul is saying, this message from God, is that you are a, once you have been reconciled to God and received this grace, you are now a high-ranking official in the kingdom of God. You are a senior officer to share this message. We are supposed to look different than the world because conflict's not going away. This isn't about winning an argument about it, it, or the conflict. It's about being ambassadors for Christ in your neighborhood, in your office, on your team, in the classroom, in the checkout line, at the drive-thru, at the restaurant, in the long-standing conflict with a friend or family member. We are bearers of reconciliation because we have been reconciled with God. Our lifestyle, our sin, our past were in conflict and God reconciled to us. He bridged the gap that we might take the message to the world and it's so simple. It's just this, guys. We reconcile with others because Jesus reconciled with us. That's it. Because we are compelled by Christ's love. Paul says, no one, no one should be better at reconciliation than a people who has had their entire sinful lives reconciled with a holy God. If there is anyone who should understand how to bridge the gap between being done wrong, being sinned against, being cheated on, then it is a people who sinned against, cheated on God, and got reconciled anyway. We ought to be better than anybody. 
And Paul says, if you can't do that, and you're just like, Carter, you don't know. You don't know what they said about me. You don't know how bad they hurt me. You don't know what they did to my kid. You just don't know. You don't know how bad it hurt. You don't know what they said on Facebook for all my high school friends to hear. They lied about me. They spread rumors about me. You don't know what they did. And Paul says, if, if that's true, then it's possible. It's possible you may have not fully experienced the reconciliation of God and Jesus. Because he closes it out this way. We implore you. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. It's like Paul's like saying, like, don't you get it? God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You sit there and you're like, I, I don't know. You just don't know how bad I was hurt. You know how long it's been since we've talked. You don't know what they said about daddy. You don't know what they did to mama. You just don't know, Carter. <laughs> Paul say, don't. do you understand that God made him who had no sin to become your sin so that in him, do you know how God looks at you? He looks at you as the righteousness of God. And you can't forgive them for saying something mean to your mama? You can't forgive them for hurting your feelings. You can't forgive them for betraying you. Do you understand what God did for you in Jesus? And for those of you who are not followers of Christ and stuck around this whole, for this whole thing, this is your moment. See, this is what it's about. This is what it means to be a Christian. Christ made him who had no sin, to be sin for you so that in him your whole past can be forgiven and God can look at you and not see all your mistakes but because of Jesus, the righteousness of God. Our motivation as Christ followers, our, our heart, our actions are rooted rooted in the reconciliation Christ gave us and the eternal lens through which we see every person on planet earth. And church, it's up to us. It's up to us. I, sometimes I hear this phrase, sometimes people say like, well, you know, I'm just, wait, wait, I just want something deeper. I'm looking for something deeper. I don't think the problem with the American church is that we need to go deeper. I think the problem is that we need to actually do what we know the Bible actually says. Like do it. Reconcile with others. Because Christ reconcile with us 
when you needed reconciling with God because of your sin, when I needed reconciling with God because of my sin, God took the first step. So when someone needs reconciling with you, believer, we take the first step. You don't know what they did. You don't know how bad, but yeah. Like, remember your sins, and now God calls you righteous? Take the first step. This week, next week, you're going to come into some conflict. Maybe you are in some conflict right now. Maybe you rode to church in the car with someone with whom you have a conflict. I want you to remember something. That it's not your job to win, to be right, to make a point, to get your way. I want you to remember something. I am an ambassador to the king of kings and his kingdom on foreign soil. And it is my job to convey a message of reconciliation with all the local government, even if I rode with them. And I don't pick sides as an ambassador because I serve a king who picked all. We reconcile with others because Jesus reconciled with us. Heavenly Father, thank you, thank you for becoming sin for us. Thank you that we didn't deserve it and you took the first step so that we might become the righteousness of God. And my prayer, my prayer is is for for those in this room, for those watching who don't know you, that they would know that they know that they know that they can just say yes to the reconciliation you have offered in Jesus who died and rose again. That's my prayer. That they would know that that's true. And Lord, for the rest of us who call on the name of Jesus, who call ourselves followers of Jesus, Lord, help us to remember We are more than just believers. We are more than just followers. We are more than just Christians. We are ambassadors to the Most High King. And you are making your appeal through us. Father, help us represent you well. In Jesus' name, amen.